Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. Hello, hello, and thank you for joining me today here at Fashion Talks. My guest today is Sage Paul. Sage is a designer, an artist, a creator, a costume designer, the executive artistic director of Indigenous Fashion Arts. She is a acknowledged and awarded trailblazer and change maker by the likes of Vogue Magazine and CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards. And we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. We are going to talk about her experience bringing a delegate of Indigenous designers to Milan for a trade show during Fashion Week and why it's important to have Indigenous designers on the European Fashion Week calendar. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the conversations that maybe we can stop having and the ones that we should be having more of as it pertains to Indigenous fashion. I'm really glad you're here. Let's get to the conversation. Sage Paul, it is so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Always happy to get to chat with you. Oh, thank you. Well, we have so much to talk about, but mm-hmm. I love to start these podcasts asking people about that moment where they realized that fashion clothing has more power than just protecting ourselves from the elements. Do you have a moment that you can recall where you made that realization where there was another tool that clothing and fashion had? I have been thinking about this answer for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but the, the aha fashion moment, I have been making fashion since I was very young and I really didn't have much as we, when we grew up. So I made my own, my own clothing. So I, I guess that's a, that's a resourcefulness thing, but it, it reminds me of this cute little, I had this cute little pink fabric um, and I had beaded uh, like a little floral design. It was, I, I was really young. It was just super cute. And I feel like that was one of the moments where, you know, just like that feeling of that material and how am I going to wear it? I want everyone to see it, you know? And I was pretty shy when I was a kid. So I guess that would have been the moment is just realizing materials are more than just that protection. Make them beautiful. And it's a way of being seen, right? Like that, like expression in its purest, in its purest form. It really is. It really is that. I was like, especially for people who are quiet and shy or silenced or oppressed uh, you know, fashion has been such an important tool to push through that. Sometimes it's the only tool you have to be loud. You are completely silenced in every other way. Um, and on the flip side, also fashion is used as a tool to silence people. Um, it's such a, it's such a powerful, powerful medium. With a pendulum that swings dramatically to, to either, to either side. Yeah. Well, let's talk about fashion, indigenous fashion arts. Can you tell me a little bit, because that is the mothership that so many of the other things we're going to talk about kind of fly out of. Can you tell me a little bit about when you founded it and what the, what the purpose, what the intention behind this organization is? Well, like I said, I, I grew up making fashion and it was just a part of my life um, growing up. And I... 
was also raised around my culture. I was uh, raised in, I was born and raised in Toronto, but also grew up in Gabriel Dumont's uh, uh, native housing. So I just had a lot of just experience and I uh, was surrounded by my culture. So it's always been super important. And as I grew up, I eventually went into fashion school. I, went, I did, did costume design, I did fashion design. Um, but it was always the that I always went back to my childhood and the way that I just, I guess, so purely saw and used fashion. I wasn't motivated by what's saleable. You know, I did, I created because it spoke to me and that was how I could express myself. Um, and, you know, growing up in, uh, in Toronto, it's, it's a, it's a hard uh, industry to break into. You need a lot of resources, you need a lot of money and um, the networks, uh, the materials, and it's, you're working within a, a very specific idea of what fashion is, which is a very Westernized capitalist kind of, of perspective. Um, so I actually started doing workshops with a group of uh, just a collective of women in Toronto, uh, I guess, uh, reinvigorating and reclaiming traditional practices. Um, and all of us, we did different kinds of work. I'd say I, I do more contemporary kinds of fashion. And I really like to think about the story in that, in the fashion, what that remember, what the memories are that it, it creates for me. But it's, it's pretty contemporary work uh, that I'm creating and other designers are doing much more traditional work. And so we wanted a space that we were not confined by what was going to be saleable. We wanted to know what our traditions were and how that applied to us. Um, and that was about creating the work. From there, um, eventually, it's like, I really want to, I want to present my work. I'm tired of seeing Indigenous work only during Indigenous History Month. Yeah. Or now we have Orange Shirt Day where everybody's capitalizing on the orange shirt now, right? It's like, the, where are the spaces that are run by us, for us, that the those kinds of presentations are relevant to us. Um, for me, fashion is art. And so when we do our runway shows, we book designers in the same way that an exhibition for an art gallery would book an artist. Uh, so really respecting that craftsmanship of the work. And um, that's what IFA is about. It's about creating a space for Indigenous designers. We're primarily a festival. We're primarily, uh, we do the Indigenous Fashion Arts Festival every two years. And that is to support the, the designers. It is designer focused. It takes a long time to produce work, especially when you're coming from around the world. Um, you know, we get designers from mostly Canada, but uh, we're also getting international designers. And we're also doing various trade programs. So looking at how are we impacting the industry and how are we impacting it that benefits Indigenous designers, Indigenous communities. Um, I could go on and on about IFA. It's just like this big, it's just, it is this hub that it's, it, I, there's so much potential for well, it. Well, and you know? ever, ever growing and expanding and, and evolving. Uh, we'll link it down below where people can find out about the next festival, June 2024. Mark your calendars if you're in the GTA. Um, but let's talk about, because you recently went to White Milano with a delegation of designers. For those of us who don't know, what is White Milano and why was that an important place for you to bring a delegation of Indigenous designers? Uh, White Milano is, it's a, it's a business, uh, 
business to business trade show. It's a very large trade show that happens in Milan, which is one of the four fashion capitals in the world. So automatically, this is a, a massive market, very mainstream and very different from the Canadian market, let alone the indigenous uh, market. So this was a very it was a new experience for for everyone that was participating. We brought seven designers um, from across Canada and each of them brought their um, uh, colleagues to support in this journey. Uh, to Milan. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's importance for many reasons. Representation is one of them. Um, I think it's also important that we are supporting our local economies. Uh, like I said, with the with IFA, we're presenting work, you know, that's about the artistic expression, that's about how that performance is. Um, but on, you know, with every we live in a world now where people need to live and it then takes money to live. And so economic development is, is personally very important to me when it comes to how I'm supporting my communities and serving them. Um, but I also think for any art discipline or even if it's not a, a, any creative um, space that the economic component should be um, an important part of it, especially for those communities that um, are, have just never been a part of it. You know, the Indigenous communities have not been a part of that global fashion industry. And uh, I think that we should be. And while there, were the designers scattered amongst the the other designers? Or did you have like your own hub, so to speak? What was their destination? We had our own hub. So we partnered with White Milano for three years. And I'm very excited about this because... I, I really believe that we can't one-offs just you're you're not getting as much done as if you go through the process many many times um so we're partnered with them for three years um well three three editions of, of going there with a different group and we go with seven designers and they've they've i guess they've created this beautiful space it's about 100 by 100 square meters and they have these large uh, video uh, advertisements, I guess, and, and campaign images of each of the designers' work that goes through that. So it's a really, uh, the visibility was very high for for the designers who participated. And that was important going into this partnership. Um, it, it was about a year in the making to actually get all the designers and bringing them out there. And when a part of that planning is negotiating with the planners there, to make sure that everything is in place for the designers to succeed. So making sure that we had a very visible space was one of those, uh, I guess, kind of requests or requirements that we had going in there. And what was the reaction from the buyers? Like if you had to, like understanding it's massive, like I think you shared there's like 15,000 buyers that come through or something like that. So understanding that this is like a drop in the bucket, but what were some of the reactions and responses to the delegation? Like, were people, you know, delighted, surprised? What were some of the conversations that really struck you that you had with people there? The, the conversations were pretty mixed. And um, I, I, like I said, there were mostly buyers there. There were also students. So that's where we get pretty oh, interesting. separate kind of conversations. And I think that was an outreach initiative they did. And so there were quite a number of students that have the more inquisitive questions about like, what is native kinds of things, which are, you know, they become exhausting to have to answer those kinds of questions. But of course, we're in the new market and it is a part of the, our work. And that's why IFA helps to facilitate 
these delegations so that we can kind of take that that educational load off of the designers so they can focus on their work. Um, there were some interesting moments and there's there's two moments that I'm remembering right now is that there was a French designer, a French buyer um, who's just interested in the craftsmanship, which I, to see that interest in the craftsmanship of our practices is exciting because it just, secures like just that sense of value and and uh, validity of mm-hmm. of indigenous design being a part of the fashion industry france you know france is <laughs> well, france. And to be, you know it's the atelier you know home so yes. for like i would think if someone from the french background where we could assume maybe they have that like atelier craftsmanship craftsperson mm-hmm. um history and understanding for them to see that in the delegation that was there with IFA would be very encouraging and flattering and uplifting and seen in a very positive light. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I, I really just, the thought of shifting the idea of luxury is it's super progressive in my mind. The thought that, you know, having tanned hide, home tanned hide with hand beaded artwork on these beautiful pieces, whether they're it's jewelry or accessories or on your clothing, that value to me is so much higher than an, an exploited diamond that comes out of, you know, wherever. So mm-hmm. I, I like the, the, the thoughts at the potential of how this can change the industry. And, and some, when we're bringing different cultures together, French culture, indigenous culture, and really questioning what is is luxury. What are this luxury? And then there also was a, a buyer from Dubai. So, and that kind of then reminds you like, whoa, this is actually a super international market here. This is not just the mainstream kind of Eastern or Western Euro kind of markets. Like this is very, very global. There are like, there is literally a market here in this mainstream market for anyone and everyone. If you if you approach it in the right way, right, you got to be prepared. But um, that was one of the things that I sat was so excited about. And this the buyer came in and wanted to try on one of the pieces, and it made us. Uh, we were like, oh, we don't we we don't have enough mannequins here, so we just threw it on and we modeled it for for the buyer. And so I, I'm sure that uh, it was Evan Ducharme's uh, jacket that he was interested in. It's a very beautiful, beautifully constructed jacket, really big, billowy, flowy, but almost still masculine. Like the fabric was still heavy, but it was the light blue. And to see what internationally people are interested in I, I, and how different everyone is, I found to be really exciting. It wasn't well, such a monolith of what we think fashion is. And to be seen as a designer amongst a global stage of designers, um, you know, must have been just a different level of understanding your identity as a designer, to be seen as that in a bigger context. Yeah, it really opened up all of our eyes, each of the designers who were there. We also, um, we bought a designer, uh, Dorothy Wright, as a mentee. 
because we want to keep paying it forward in our community. We want everyone to be a part of this, right? <laughs> it's just like to to be there with all of the designers and to get to see the possibilities is um, it was very eye opening and, and inspiring and encouraging for each of the designers. And it's a three-year commitment, so there will be returning delegations to White Milano to build on the, you know, beginning of a foundation. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> and um, right now, we're working specifically with Indigenous Canadian designers who are are based in Canada. So um, we are focusing on First Nations, Inuit, and Métis. Uh, but the festival, we serve international Indigenous communities. So as we continue to grow this project and this trade program, we can look at including more um, international Indigenous presence. Because I always, there's this anecdote uh, or fact, I think about that Indigenous people, I mean, we're obviously all around the world. And I'm pretty sure, I feel like I've told you this before because I tell everybody this. But if, the, if there was to be a country of Indigenous people, it would be the second most populated country in the world. And when I think about all of the traditional practices that are happening in our communities, and I travel, I travel often enough, so I feel pretty confident in saying that fashion is a very important part of Indigenous communities around the world. And the craftsmanship and the purposes is so strong and so beautiful. And by us going to places like Milan and building this international presence, I think is going to help bring together that Indigenous, international Indigenous community, which... I hope in turn supports our communities and supports the economic development, that artistic expression, that sovereignty over who we are, but also having us as um, there in, as a part of the industry so that we can also be a part of this global market and global economy. It's, it's all connected, like the, the economic development, the part of the community, the access to buyers, like it sounds you know, like we're stating the obvious, but it is that intersection of all those things that is so important. We need it. And we have to allow for all of these uh, different elements of fashion to exist. Yeah. Well, and you touched on something a little bit that, you know, there was a great article in Vogue before you got, before you (laughs) went, which we'll link below if people haven't had a chance to see it, got to shout out the Vogue articles um, about the, you know, the focus that each designer had on their indigeneity. And I feel like there's always this subtle or obvious conversation about identity and indigenousness and storytelling, Mm -hmm. which is obviously a huge conversation. How was that conversation being had amongst the delegation? And, you know, how, and, and I appreciate you saying, you know, having to explain, you know, as you just said, you know, what is native can be a bit like, oh my God, really, are we still having this conversation? (laughs) So how do you navigate that bigger conversation of identity that is important with the education of the minutiae of it sometimes? Yeah. um, Well, there's a lot of, uh, where to start? I know I just layered like five questions on there for you. So Let's solve all the problems. <laughs> there is, um, yeah, it's 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 layered because you know that it's definitely a point of pride, and I, I think that drives uh, the, uh, everybody's work in fashion. If I feel if someone's a true designer, true artist, it, it's a form of expression. And here it happened like 
uh, indigenous designers are influenced by our culture that we've grown up in or that, um, you know, we're, you know, however, we're influenced by it. Um, and so that when I was talking with like some media and they're asking, what is the common thread? Why did you choose each of these designers to go? And um, and I just let them know, I was like, that I don't, it was hard to find a common thread because they were all so different in the type of work that they're designing, where they come from, what nations they come from, geographically where they come from. But there was that connection to their indigeneity, to their culture, that was that kind of through thread. But the way that they experienced that identity and the way that they shared it was so different. And you can see it in each of their works, like from Leslie Hampton, um, who we know is a huge advocate for body positivity and mental health um, supports. And she she does a lot of work that goes looks into her connections to her her family and her her mother and mostly the matriarchs and her family. So there's mm-hmm. you can see that exploration there. Um, it's very subtle. Her gown with the red dots on it for all the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls is a very yeah. powerful kind of blending of those two things. I always am struck by that yeah. piece of hers. And just hearing her say so when you hear like because you can initially look at that dress and just see it's this gorgeous dress with these, you know, these red these markings all over it. And then once you hear about the intention behind that, it just like it gives me chills thinking about it. Like that kind of intention, that an integrity that goes into the design, um, I think is I believe is one of the things that make Indigenous fashion really important and and urgent and necessary. Um, You know, and then we can also look at designers like Robin McLeod, who was also there. And um, she's like, she's very far north in northern Canada, um, very, very far away. I think it took her like 36 hours. I might be exaggerating. It took her many hours. Lots of time. (laughs) To get to Milan, um, the longest of uh, almost anyone who had to travel there. Um, And just looking at that experience and the way that she is also sharing culture. And she's talking about Dene Futurisms. That was her her most prominent collection. And you, you can look at the... I guess the coming together of Western design and the way that the des- uh, the dresses are, uh, there's like the fitted flared dresses, f- fitted kind of bustier tops, but the materials that she used are harvested from her land because that's what is around her. And that is her, her form of expression. So like to look at both of these designers who are both creating just beautiful, beautiful work, um, that, that connection to where they come from and who they are is definitely that, that main through thread in, in that work. I had a conversation with um, Byron and Dexter Pert, who run the company Goody, quite some time ago. And Goody like the hair? No, it's a marketplace for um, global, sustainable, working with local um, designers, makers, etc. They used to be the founders of Want Apothecary and Boutique, uh, Want Boutique. Yeah. Um, To to a pair of twins, lovely, lovely, lovely guys. And something that they said once is that. From a um, from the perspective of African, Caribbean, and a lot of Black cultures, something made from there gets called craft, but something from a Western culture gets called design. 
And part of what they're trying to do is ask the question, well, why is this craft and not design? And why is this design and not craft? And I was wondering how that observation resonates with you as it relates to Indigenous designers and makers who are, who are working within the fashion community. It hugely resonates with me. That was definitely one of the driving things that got me into fashion where I'm at today with IFA is because I strongly believe in the expression of fashion and fashion as an art form. And um, when fashion is being created by either women or oppressed communities or, um, you know, culturally diverse communities, it's devalued. And I, 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 it's hard to say why. There, there's, of course, the colonial history where when, uh, like, our lands were colonized when, you know, forever long, and our work was immediately commodified. Canada's mm-hmm. fur industry, right, is based on our harvesting and survival. And that was commodified and completely killed off like a lot of the animals. Um, the same thing happened a lot with the crafts. And these are Indigenous women. I, from the limited re- research I've done is, uh, and I've done more research Googles, but still. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> a deep dive with room to with room to learn. Yes. Deep dive with room to learn. But it was women. It is indigenous women who were leading these um, expeditions in the in our history, and it was indigenous women who were creating the crafts and creating the clothing and the beadwork and harvesting the materials and coming up with the designs and sustaining those fam- familial designs that are being passed through the generations. Um, and now, like with Western fashion, there's just not a value for art, art that isn't in a gallery. Why our bodies are like a gallery. The outside, there, you know, it doesn't need to be a vertical wall. It's horizontal. The world is outside of us, and the art that we see. And um, I, there's it's that that colonial aspect I think about often when I'm thinking about uh, why that is. Why is our work so devalued and not considered artwork or not considered um, important? Uh, and I do believe that's changing. Or luxury or desired, yeah. right? Like why, like as you're talking, I'm thinking about the elaborate gowns that many Western designers are obviously known for, you know, your big fashion houses. Mm-hmm. Um, that gets elevated in a way that, what I hear you saying, like indigenous designers and artists are not, even though the expertise and the history and the workship is mm-hmm. obviously of equal output and value. Yeah, exactly. And trying to navigate that, it's, it's hard because it's, you know, thinking about where do we start um, and all I can just, just take it one day at a time by doing things like the IFA festival or, or the trade program that we're doing, because when we looked, so like the Badashu Museum, I just learned the Badashu Museum has a very, very large collection of indigenous uh, footwear. And it's really just gorgeous. I think like, I think they mostly have indigenous made footwear and that's not commonly known. And why not? You know, there's just, I think there's just a collective consciousness about what is considered fashion or craft. And I think, I, I think the answer is not that I have an all-knowing answer. Yeah. Yeah. Share your <laughs> answer, St. Paul. Here's the answer. 
to be indigenous led. They need to be led by the communities who have been oppressed. That's where it needs to be. And systems need to change. So that, and this is the hard part, is that with changing systems, things are going to take time. People's understanding is going to take time. This is not going to happen over overnight. And I just don't see a lot of the institutions allowing for that time to, to see that change to happen. They just automatically assume that, okay, this is going to, I'm hiring an Indigenous creative director here, go into here, and they expect us to jump in and just automatically do what we're doing, that what they see, but expect us to fit within this the system that they've already created. And they are not working. They're clashing. These are clashing systems. You will not get the same product out of it. You won't get the same ideas, same designs, the same stories. Things need to be need to be led by those by the communities that we're talking about, by indigenous communities, um, to see some shift. And with that as well, because as you're as you're talking about the systems and whatnot, I'm like, yes, 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 Sage, yes. <laughs> it also makes me wonder: is there an assumption that the people buying indigenous fashion are indigenous? Like, do we need to crack the consumer assumption open as well? Yes. Yes. Yes, we do. Um, So for indigenous fashion arts, we're moving to the Art Gallery of Ontario next year, which we're really, really excited about. We feel like that move is going to elevate that understanding and value of indigenous made work. We're also closer to the fashion district. Uh, to be able to to increase those sales, right? We want to um, help, and again, this is our work, and we 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 take on this labor of you know making <laughs> I don't know how to say it, but making white people feel comfortable wearing native made work. <laughs> but talk more about that, like in case you didn't hear Sage clearly, say that. Say what you just say that again. Uh, I don't <laughs> just kept feeling like, what do you mean, Sage? But it's like making com- white people feel comfortable wearing our work. That's that's what's happening right now. There is totally fine to wear it, but people are afraid. They're afraid of the lashback. They're afraid that it's appropriation. All whatever issues, you know, maybe they're just they just don't know about indigenous culture. Um, so we have to take on that work of of, yeah. of taking away that fear. And that's another reason why I, I like IFA existing is that we can actually control what we're telling people and how we're sharing that and how things are, what people are purchasing. And what I hear you saying also then in like, you know, <clears throat> taking some of that burden off of educating and making the white people feel better is the more Caucasian people wear indigenous fashion, hopefully the less that conversation has to happen because we will just start to see it that's the hope fingers crossed and and this is uh, into the cultural appropriation kind of that conversation i really believe that when we're going to stop having that conversation is when our basic needs are met um because we can look appropriation happens it's a human thing we're inspired by each other this is it's not going to stop but the real issue is that we don't have basic needs met you know we are we have family members, a whole bunch of my family right now is completely evacuated because of fires. And like they're living in these really sh- shitty little hotels for how long. People don't have access to water. People don't have access to mental health and care and what whatnot, right? And so when another company is making $5 off of our intellectual property, 
that's five dollars that's not going to our community and not and that we're not able to mobilize out of that and thrive so that's what i think about when i think about appropriation is like our needs to be met our needs need to be met so that we can you know stop having such it's stop highlighting this conversation um so i believe that having ifa running and and doing this kind of research and education i i hope contributes to a comfort a certain comfort level and understanding of of wearing indigenous made clothing and indigenous made crafts and in a way that is comfortable but also respectful and it's conscious awareness you know we want conscious consumers who are also going to do their research which i love seeing because people are shopping locally now it's sustainable all these things so i believe that our, our collective consciousness is there. We are we're ready to really think about what we're putting on our bodies. The doors have been opened. Let <laughs> yeah. us walk through the yeah. door. <laughs> yes, just like automatic d- retail doors just swings open for us. <laughs> As an artist and a designer yourself who has a lot of interest in narrative as it relates to the garments that you designed and whatnot, what are the conversations and the stories that you would like us to be having more of as it relates to Indigenous fashion? Oh, I love that question. Um, I'm, I'm thinking because there's the one side where I have my personal expression. It's like, what do I want people to see? But then, of course, there's like, as, as IFA and speaking on behalf of IFA, knowing that I speak, um, I don't, I definitely do not speak for designers, but, you know, there's a certain representation there. Yeah, what what would I like? Okay, so repeat the question again. What what conversations would you like us to be having around storytelling and narrative as it pertains to Indigenous fashion? Or maybe you're like, Donna, I just want to talk about the clothes and... No, no. Can we just talk about the beautiful beating (laughs) and the cuts already? The narrative is there. And it's such, it's an interesting question because it is so personal. And this is when we get into fashion as art where, you know, we've got these narratives and maybe they aren't for everyone to hear, but it is something that's right in our work. So I'm actually trying to think about these, these stories that I've included in my work in the past that are important to me. And I usually go pretty personal in the stories. Um, you know, I, I had experienced a, a great amount of loss um, in um, uh, fertility. And uh, that has caused a great deal of, you know, grief in my life. And so one of my collections was called Giving Life in direct response to that personal experience. Um, and it was... I had created these rawhide casts. It was like, like you know, these, like, it, I mean, it's almost so literal when I think yeah. that. But it's just like, <laughs> it's a cast. I'm healing myself. Yeah, yeah. But it was so beautiful. And it just really meant a lot to me in terms of getting to process that experience. Um, but then also just like get it out and also get to share like how, we do that in our communities. I included ribbon skirts for me growing. Ribbon skirts are widely worn now, um, and there's lots of discussion around where they should be worn. But when I grew up, they were specifically for ceremony, um, and that is also an act of healing. So 
um, that collection was very important to me for those reasons because it was almost that um, I don't know what to say. Was it a healing journey or whatever it is? I don't I don't like to get hokey around the, no, the healing was, of it, but there was an out an output an outpouring that had a different layer. Yeah, yeah. Than maybe other things you've worked on. Yeah, and that and the collection was a mixture between materials and more mainstream. And then I have this other collection um, I made years ago, and it was the strawberry kind of fields collection, and it was a really girlish little, really sweet little collection and lace and little booty shorts and things that I would have loved as a wearing as a child. Um, and they were just like, I, you know, it was about that memory of, um, of coming of age. Coming of age stories are the best stories. I just love them. That's what I watch on Netflix. I'm yeah. all about them. Um, so I, 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 I make this collection of like strawberry fields and, when I was coming of age, I had a strawberry ceremony. So it's a whole year that you go through and you don't eat, you fast from berries. And then at the end of the year, you mark that, I guess, transition into, you know, your, your you know, becoming an adult um, by having a feast and you do ceremony. You finally get to break your, break your fast and eat berries. And at, at 12 years old, I was like, what do you mean I can't eat strawberries? And I was like, had to go pick my berries for my, my ceremony in the year from then. And, and I was literally running through strawberry fields in these little short shorts. And then, you know, a year later, I'm sorry, short shorts. And I look like, but you know, like it's, it was just such a different experience. So the colors were very dark to kind of feel more mature, even though I really was not mature at all. I was just like, I was just a kid. So the, the, that when I think about narrative, that's a very, very personal kind of way of, of, of expression. And I, and, and I, the one step further from there with expression is um, the performance of it. There's the performance of fashion and that performativity of fashion. And we do it every day in our lives. Um, yeah. Getting dressed is the performative nature, right? Yeah. And we are like, how am I feeling today? And what do we want to tell the world? And, you know, maybe I just don't want to talk to anyone. I'm going to wear my sunglasses and not look at a single person. And maybe I feel like I'm really excited to tell about this, you know, this new necklace is too dainty. So I'm going to wear something that's really outspoken so I can share about this beautiful necklace I got from my mom. And there's so much there with fashion. And so like when, okay, what do we want to tell the world? It's so personal. And then when it comes to like indigenous fashion, I just feel like it is, uh, there's a diaspora of indigeneity. And I think if we're listening and watching closely enough that we're going to find those really, really beautiful narratives and experiences in the same way that we're moved by a painting, we're moved by a film, you know, you see something on the runway or like on the streets, people watching, like that kind of that kind of show is is just as moving if you're if you're listening close enough. Moving from the macro conversation more down to the individual conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Sage, I could like talk to you all day long. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. If people want to find out more about IFA, find out about you, learn more about the 
delegations of amazing Indigenous designers that you're working with, where can people find you? We'll link them in the show notes below, but where can people go? Awesome. Well, thank you first so much for for having me. I always love our chats and um, everyone can find indigenousfashionarts.com is where you find everything Indigenous Fashion Arts. Um, our handles are also the same except for Twitter, which is IND Fashion Arts. Um, and you can get updates about what designers are doing. Um, also, my personal is uh, Sage Paul. And shop. Shop. Yes. Buy Native. There are... Two new shops just opened up. I'm, I, I don't want this to get outdated, but um, there is Relative Arts in NYC that just opened. And it's been called this, like, the, the Indigenous Andy Warhol Studio. It, it's run by Karina Emmerich, who was at IFA last year. Amazing. Uh, definitely check it out. And then also Wildflower Goods, which is here in Toronto. It's a local vintage and uh, Indigenous-run uh, shop in Kensington Market. We will link those in the show notes for sure. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much, Sage. <laughs> Talk soon. Thank you so much for joining me here on Fashion Talks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends, your family, on your networks. It would mean the world to me. Fashion Talks is done in partnership with the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards. You can find out more about them at CAFA Awards, C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S on Instagram. This episode was produced by Jason Perrier. You can find him on Instagram at a Jason Perrier. You can follow the pod at Fashion Talks Pod, and you can follow me at This Is Donna B. All of us on Instagram. I hope you will join us again next week. Thank you so much and have a great day.